Hello, this is Ken, your podcast preacher, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Water. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in our lives. The title of this message is Calling All Fear, Calling All Fear. Okay, so please allow me to have some fun with this scripture. While laying the foundation for the message, I also want to teach you how to encounter scripture and to come up with questions for the Lord, or for your own edification, being that the Bible only has a billion layers to it. Matthew 14, 30 Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Why would they use this language? It is a ghost. Have they encountered such things before? Were they influenced by the movie Beetlejuice? Now keep in mind they encountered angels and demons on the regular. So supernatural entities were not a total surprise for them. Well, if you're waiting for an answer to my question, you won't get it from me. I have lots of questions similar to this one for God to address. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he does. Point being, I'm in a relationship with him and his word. And sound relationships require good questions. And I have learned to leave some of the questions hanging. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. I think Jesus was quite the practical joker, and may have had other intentions here other than just teaching a lesson on fear and faith. He does show compassion for them in their immediate state as he responded immediately and didn't wait for them to wet themselves. Verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So I find Peter's response kind of funny. That is, he stated, if it is you. Okay, so who else would it be? Didn't Jesus just say it is I? Is it possible that fear will cause you to say silly things in the moment? The other thing I find interesting in this is that Peter asked Jesus to command that he come to him on the water. So now place yourself in the boat. You see a guy who has identified himself as Jesus. He is gently swaying back and forth while standing on top of the water, the waves lapping at his feet, his hair softly blowing in the breeze, and you tell him to command you to do the same thing that he is already doing. You see how this is not a faith moment at all? Fear, doubt, and unbelief are swirling in the wind. First, Peter questions Jesus' sanity by saying, If it is you. And then he tells him to command him to do the same thing that he's already doing. Okay, so we see in another story about a fishing trip, and yes, I am interrupting a scripture journey with another scripture journey. You should get used to seeing this in some of my messages. Anyways, the guys are in the SS Minnow not only catching fish, but thinking about the last three years of their life with Jesus. Oh, the conversations going on in each one of their heads. I don't think catching nothing mattered in this trip. But, well, let's see what happens and the difference in Peter's response in this story as compared to Matthew 14, 22, 30. And oh yes, it has funny stuff too. John 21, 3, 7. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. No doubt to think more than just about fishing. Maybe he was even frustrated due to his understanding or lack thereof of what Jesus represented and that he would be returning with the farewell message. 
They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. I thought I would just point out that in both fishing stories, these guys moved in preparation for fishing. They did things immediately, just like the Lord. I suspect we should apply this technique to our response to Jesus from time to time. Well, all the time. Verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So we see here that Jesus may have well been the ghost on the water. You know, the one they thought they saw in an earlier three-hour tour. Now we know that Jesus looks changed after he was risen, and that is but one reason why they did not recognize him. When Mary saw him earlier at the tomb, she thought he was a gardener. John 20, 11, 17. But so now the story gets interesting. In verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. So it didn't bother a bunch of hardened sailors that another man that they did not know just called them children? I couldn't resist. Verse 6, And he said to them, Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So we see in this moment that even though they did not know it was Jesus, they had been trained by him to believe that if someone tells you to try another method, then you do it. Verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Okay, so who wrote the book of John? Of course John did. And who is telling you this story? Right again, it is John. And so when John writes down, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, you got to ask yourself if he was just being funny. I mean, he says it again in verse 20, which, by the way, invoked a response from Peter, right after Jesus told him he was going to die. Peter says, what about this guy? You know, the one in whom you love. Okay, so Peter didn't have the book of John to refer to, but surely he had some issues with John. Next verse, it is the Lord. So John tells the boat people that it is Jesus. By the way, if you too know that you are the one that Jesus loves, you may also be the only one to see Jesus in the crowd that claims to know him but can't see him. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. So looky here, Peter didn't say, well, if it is you, Lord, command me to come to shore, and by the way, bring the fish with me. Nope, he jumped right in the water and went to shore. Now I know the conditions were different, probably no storm, no waves, no wind, and it was morning time when ghosts are already sleeping. And while he wasn't necessarily in the deep as he was only about 200 cubits off the shore, now I know you are asking what measurement a cubit represents, and it is here that I would instruct you to put away your ruler and straight edge for a minute. In my mind, I initially thought that a cubit was about the size of an ice cube. Don't judge me, there's a correlation. But for the inquiring minds, it is an ambiguous form of measurement which is described as being at the elbow and ending at one of your fingers. Now the ambiguity comes when you have different length arms, and the measurer, we will call him the measurer for this illustration, is a different measurer than the last one that built the house with you. So I think that this form of measuring began in a leper colony. The story goes like this according to tradition. Hey Bob, can you um, bring over that forearm? We need to measure and plumb this wall. Bob responds, which one? There are so many. So the foreman thinks for a minute and states, bring over the same one we used last week so that the house stays square. Now it is only a traditional story, but well, anyways, 
Jesus showed up and healed all of them, so they all had to go into a different trade. However, the practice of using forearms as a premier measuring tool for the construction industry remained in play for quite some years. So, but would it have mattered to Peter that he was only 200 forearms from shore? I mean, look, Peter didn't present his case to the man on the shore like he did in Luke 5, 4, 8. They tossed the nets precisely as they were commanded. So now we return to Matthew 14, 29. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So now we can pick on Peter all we want as it relates to his apparent lack of faith. But who wouldn't want a disciple like this guy? Who of you would say it is too much work? Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. So we see he saw, and that was the end of hydroplaning for him. We also see something of more importance, and that is that John, more than willingly, shares that Peter was afraid. You see, this is the fruit of fear. It kills faith and instills doubt. It also, if for only a brief moment, instilled the fear of death. Okay, so now I saved this last point for now, because I saw it last. We see here that Peter immediately responded to the trouble. He perceived trouble even though he only just began to sink. It is right here that we can learn to read the moment and then respond in faith. If you are prone to overreact to troublesome situations at the onset of the trouble, learn to give yourself some time to make a faith adjustment and bounce right back to the top of the thing. It sounds a little bit funny in that someone might call for fear in the face of fear. It seems to me it would be like calling for more fire in the midst of fire or calling for more water while experiencing a flood. I'm as guilty of doing this as anyone who's listening. So we have this response to fear as an example in the Bible. And we will see that they were not berated because they got what they called for. Nope. Jesus just called in the weapons that cancel fear, which is the statement he used several times in the Bible. And which is rather odd and seems a bit out of place, considering that they were in the middle of an event that, in most cases, would have caused anyone to cry out for fear. He said, be of good cheer. Yep. He told them right after he had scared the bejeebies out of them. And then he said, it is I. He then takes it a step further and explained the situation that they were in. So you could say, in essence, he gave them a reason to grab on to peace and didn't just leave them hanging on the rope of fear. It is interesting that in John 20, 26, he pops in right beside them, standing with them in the room. Bink, and he immediately says, Peace. John 20, 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Is Jesus like the Fonzie of their day or what? So you place yourself in this moment, in this story. You were in a room talking about the whole event of Jesus, including his death. They did forget that he was coming back. And the fact that the same people who hated Jesus also hated you, and that if they killed someone as innocent as Jesus, they probably didn't need much reason to also start taking you out as well. So lots going on in the room, including the tension of the moments. All of a sudden, Jesus just appears in the conversation. By this we know that Jesus had a great sense of humor. And it's my thought that he may have even chuckled under his breath as he saw the looks on their faces. So the point of the story is that in this situation, he says peace, and that is our weapon to fight off fear. 
Did I just give you the ending of the story without digging the well? Even if I did, the story is fun, so let us continue. So we go from every one of these hardened UFC-type fishermen to a mind-bending, we-see-a-ghost scenario, to a request for fear. Then out of nowhere, Peter, who in all likelihood is standing, because when you see a ghost, you always position yourself to run. <laughs> he called out to Jesus and told him to command him to come out to him. Perhaps Peter thought he could catch more fish by being in a position to be able to look down into the water and see the schools. <laughs> Maybe Peter wanted to do this so that he could get back to the harbor and scare the bejeebies out of the other fishermen. But those are just two of my own personal possible scenarios. So unless there is something else hidden in these words, which could very well be, Peter shows great courage and faith in the very moment that fear is swirling around him. I mean, didn't they call for fear? And you would think that if they called for it, that fear would show up. Well, it did. In this moment, I see Peter like a fireman who runs past others who are fleeing a burning building to confront the flames. Like a soldier who runs headlong into an artillery-filled field to seek justice. Or a police officer who every day places their lives at risk so that an overly ignorant public can encounter the peace they have come to expect from our street military. Anyway, on with the wind. The Bible states when he saw that the winds were boisterous, he was afraid. I know he said more, and by all accounts this could make a great faith teaching. But I see another strategy at play, and I want you to see it too so you are armed and equipped to deal with it, in the event you ever go fishing and see a ghost. Throughout the Bible we see that Jesus can chat it up with anything including but not limited to the winds and the waves, fig trees, animals, i.e. Balaam's donkey. Speak to fire, the burning bush, and the three amigos and the Barbie. What I'm trying to illustrate here is that everything has life in it because God created everything, and life is found in him. Rocks would cry out, demons would hear and obey, and sin is crouching. I know you want to confirm that I'm not making these things up, so here we go, scriptural tubing. Matthew 8, 23-27 Now when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. His disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Genesis 4, 7 If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Luke 19, 40 But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Matthew 21, 19, 20 And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Something equally as interesting in Matthew 21, 19, 20, is that the fig tree withered away once it found out it could no longer produce fruit. Isn't that the same thing that happens to a Christian that's not producing any fruit? They kind of sort of just wither away. Anyways, is this scripture a story about how quickly we should obey Jesus? Maybe the fig tree is telling us something. Maybe it should be a part of this message. Nope. 
not past this point. Numbers 22:30. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? Daniel 3:25. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So what I'm saying is that fear, like rocks, sin, wind, waves, trees, is alive, and it is a spirit, and it will respond to our request when beckoned. Look, 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Maybe this is why we are instructed to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Spirit sees spirits and spiritual things. Flesh sees flesh and fleshly things. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Again, here's another coin for the well. Living in the spirit is different than walking in the spirit but I shall save that journey for another message. So they cried out for fear, and fear responded. But because they were still learning, they did not rebuke that spirit, but rather responded in the flesh. And so fear remained among them. Now watch this. So when Peter attempted to apply his faith, fear interjected because it was called for. It was invited to the party, so to speak, and therefore given permission to be among them. P.S. Don't ask for fear to join your party. It's a prickly party pooper. Wrapping this story up and to reiterate, this is not a story about the UFC fishermen, a wayward boating trip, Jesus caspering his disciples. Nope, this is about understanding that if you call for something to enter into a decision, a circumstance or situation, and you are not getting the results that you are expecting, which is Jesus' results, as those are the only results we should all expect, and take a look at your words and thoughts in that very moment and deal with them. Change what you speak to the situation and you will get different results. The situation will obey. In James 3, 4:17, he shares a story that reflects that our tongue is a beast of a weapon, or can be, and may lead to our downfall in life. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of inequity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, 
sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We know that our hearts and our brains also play a part in our decision-making in times of trouble, but I have dealt with both body parts and other messages. A solid takeaway. If you call for fear, don't be surprised if it answers and begins to hang around, seeking to cause havoc in your life. It is good to know that fear usually hides in the trials, persecutions, testings, and all kinds of storms in your life. It is like the pesky telemarketer, the email bandits, or texty cowboy. Once the door is open, bam bink bazula. You're busy dealing with it all the time. So cry out for Jesus when the storm comes and you can sink your troubles to the bottom of the sea. Well, that's it for today. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from it. Together we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of life to shine through into people's lives. Find a seat and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in deep waters.